Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We made it. The weekend is here. I'm going to get you into your weekend. On a good note, uh, if you're looking for a conversation to have this weekend, if you want to have a provocative discussion at some party this weekend or some dinner gathering or whatever social event uh, you're planning this weekend, I'm going to give you something to talk about. That's what we try to do on this show. That's what I try to do on this show. Give you something interesting to talk about and discuss and debate amongst your friends and to get you well ahead of the conversation or to give you a completely different outlook on things that are being discussed nationally, locally, whatever. I'm going to do that today. I have an awesome fire starter. It's just going to be me and you. Uh, today. I'm going to handle this solo because I have a lot to unpack. Uh, I want you right now, if you're watching on YouTube, to start pounding that like button, to start hitting subscribe, get those notifications, telling your friends uh, about this show. If you're listening over Apple, give us that five-star review. Get in the comments on Apple. Leave us a comment. Help us fight the algorithm that's trying to uh, prevent the truth from spreading. And, and today's topic is going to center around that, how much we're being lied to. And, and I'm going to start or, or we'll start out talking about a specific instance that's going on right now. And we're going to connect it to something in the past because they've connected it to something in the past. And I'm going to break down for you how all of that is a lie. And so I'm going to go into Al Sharpton and Donald Trump and rappers and black men and Al Sharpton making some statements on Joy Reid's MSNB, MSNBC show and how uh, black men and black rappers shouldn't be talking about uh, supporting uh, uh, Donald Trump because he's racist. And the Central Park Five prove he's racist but before I get there, hold, slow down a little bit, guys. I do. I want to clear up some room because once I get into this topic, I may start rambling, and 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 I may. Once I get into it, I don't want to have to take a breath and come out of it. So uh, let me take care of one of our great new sponsors, uh, a product that I'm have incorporated it into my life already. Uh, big tech and big data have shown us time after time that they're not on our side. And yes, we're giving them access to record our personal lives 24-7 through our phones. Even when your phone is off, the microphones and cameras and location trackers still work. And that's just the tech people. What about your personal security when it comes to the crazy ex, someone stalking you, or even trying to blackmail you? It happens more than you might think. This is why I use Refuge Ghost Sleeve. 
It's made in America from American buffalo leather, and it blocks 5G signals that other Faraday sleeves miss, and the only Faraday sleeve that blocks signal and sound. They added sound blocking panels on each side to keep conversations private. This isn't some clunky metal box. It looks cool. It's easy to put your phone in and take out of throughout the day, whenever you want privacy. You can't be too careful these days, and the Refuge Ghost Sleeve can help keep you safe. Visit refugeprivacy.com today. Use the code FEARLESS to save 10% off your order. That's refugeprivacy.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS for 10% off today. I've already incorporated this into my life, incorporated into yours. Another great sponsor shares our values. Let's hop on board with Refuge. Now, uh, let me get to what's been in the news cycle all week and different spins on the news cycle. We've covered a little bit of this topic uh, earlier this week about the concerns on the left and the anticipation and excitement on the right that black men are perhaps waking up and are going to, in some numbers, abandon the Democratic Party. That's exciting for people on the conservative side. It's disappointing for people on the left. And so this whole conversation, because we, we keep, you know, I can't keep up with the names of all these rappers and they're from this city and that city, but many of them are coming out and basically saying, I'm down with Trump. People are, since the Trump mugshot, people are arguing that, you know, oh, he's now more relatable to black men. He's certainly more relatable to uh, black rappers because they build their entire brands and identities around being reformed criminals or uh, criminals in their spare time or gangsters or dope dealers or some kind of corrupt person. And, and so here's Donald Trump with the mugshot and, and the charges in Atlanta and people are concerning you. We, this week we talked about the guy that uh, went down to Atlanta wearing the N-words for, for Trump 2024 t-shirt. And so what does the left do? They send out uh, one of their spokespeople, one of their puppets, one of the people they control, the Reverend Al Sharpton, to, to notify black rappers and black men, don't you do that, don't you do that, don't you voice support for Donald Trump. Don't you know he's racist? And the Central Park Five case in 1989 proves that he's, he's racist. So uh, here's Reverend Al Sharpton uh, on Joy Reid's show on MSNBC, scolding black rappers and black men for considering Donald Trump. Well, I think that when you look at the Powell case, the misused in this fashion. Let's not go back to the 1930s. Let's go to the 1990s, when five young black and brown young men were falsely accused of raping a white woman in Central Park. It was Donald Trump that took out ads in the papers in New York saying they should get the death penalty. So they want to cite how blacks have been abused by the criminal justice system, cite the case where we marched and Eventually, it was proven, these five young men, that Donald Trump called on to get the death penalty was, in fact, innocent. So we don't have to go by history, go by Trump's history. 
and go by what he did, the only case of race in the criminal justice system that I've ever seen Donald Trump stand up for in New York, where he's a native, was where he called for the death penalty of five innocent young black and brown young men. That is the answer. And black men need to know that they were all young black men. One spent 13 years in jail. He was with us for the march on Washington on Saturday. Let them come and tell the rappers and others that are being seduced by Trump what he did in his hometown to innocent black men while we were marching around their innocence. So they're going back to the 30s because they can't go back to New York where he discriminated against black housing and where he discriminated against these five young men and helped cause their long sentences that they were innocent of all along. So <clears throat> let's unpack here a little bit what Al Sharpton is, is talking about. Donald Trump in 1989 took out an advertisement in all four of the major newspapers in New York, uh, the New York Times, the New York Daily News, uh, Newsday, and maybe I'm, there's a newspaper I, I can't think of, but there was four of them. And they all said the same thing. They all ran under the headline, bring back the death penalty, bring back our police. And, and the media loves, loves to reference this. This is the big smoking gun that Donald Trump is the biggest racist to ever sit in the White House and to launch a political career. And, and you guys should all hate him. And so just remember, this ad was taken out, I believe, May 1st, 1989. This ad was taken out May 1st, 1989. Donald Trump being referenced in rap music was pervasive throughout all of the 1990s. This isn't some new information that like, oh, Donald Trump took out this ad and rappers didn't know about it. Rappers knew about it, and he was still pervasive and talked about and celebrated in rap music throughout the 1990s. And so Al's not revealing some uh, new critical information like, oh, I didn't know this, or, or they didn't know this. What Al is upset about is, like, again, the bridge too far is, don't you vote for Donald Trump. That, that's, the, that's the line that rappers can't cross. Rappers can make music celebrating, promoting the killing of black men. Rappers can make music demonizing, denigrating black women. Rappers can brag about being in gangs. Rappers can brag about selling drugs to relatives and women in communities and to baby mamas and, and they can, all kinds of degeneracy. Rappers can rap about and celebrate and brag about. And Al Sharpton won't say a word. But if a rapper happens to say, hey, I might vote for Donald Trump, Al Sharpton wants to hop on television and tell Joy Reid and everybody within listening distance of his ear, Donald Trump's a racist and that's a bridge too far. 
I just want you to think of We'll just start there. I'm going to unpack all of this, but we'll just start there. The bridge too far for rappers isn't promoting killing black men. It's not in promoting dealing drugs to black people and relatives in your community. It's not denigrating black women. It's not celebrating values and culture that all lead to death. It's saying, hey, I may vote for Donald Trump. That's the bridge too far. We'll just start there with that. And this is a a minister, an alleged minister, the Reverend Al, who should have more interest in policing values and a culture and calling people to repentance for uh, violating God's law versus violating Democratic, Democrat Party ideology. But he's a politician. He's not a minister. It's a disgrace to call him a reverend, for him to pretend that he's a reverend or pretend like that, that anything he's doing has anything to do with promoting biblical values. Let's just deal with that. Part two, this this remaking of history, this retelling of history pretends, and Joy Reid does it, Al Sharpton does it, everybody pretends like, if Donald Trump hadn't taken out these advertisements, these young men would have never gone to jail. It's Donald Trump's fault. It's not the confessions that the Central Park Five made, I think four of the five made taped confessions with their parents seated at their side. No, it's not those confessions. That's not what did it. It's Donald Trump's advertisement. So let me walk you through what was going on in 1989 in New York, or what, what the Central Park Five case, for those of you who are not, rem- not familiar, there was a woman, jogger, Patricia Miley, I believe is her name, brutally beaten within an inch of her life, spent 12 days in a coma, almost, you know, had hypothermia, was raped, was, was bloodied and just, I, well, let me, we don't, we, we're not gonna speculate. We'll, we'll go straight to, uh, let me call this up and we'll take Wikipedia's word uh, for this, although Wikipedia is not the greatest source, but we will take Wikipedia's word uh, for what happened to Patricia Miley. Uh, her body was discovered around 1.30 a.m. She was found naked, gagged, tied, and covered in mud and blood in a shallow ravine about 300 feet north of 102nd Street Crossing, a wooded area of the park. The first policeman who saw her said she was beaten as badly as anybody I've ever seen beaten. She looked like she was tortured. Maya was so badly injured that she was in a coma for 12 days. She had severe hypothermia, severe brain damage, severe uh, hemophagic shock, loss of 75 to 80% of her blood, 
and internal bleeding. Her skull had been fractured so badly that her left eye was dislodged from its socket, which in turn was fractured in 21 places. The path of her feet dragged through the grass was marked so clearly that it could be photographed. It was 18 inches wide. Uh, Miley was not identified for 24 hours. So she was the central primary victim of this Central Park incident. And this happened, I believe, on April 19th, 1989. But there were five or six, a half dozen other victims that same night in Central Park. This wasn't just a one-off event. I'm going to describe, uh, and we'll take Wikipedia's word for this, about some of the other victims. At least some of the group of teenagers traveled farther south to the area around the reservoir, and there four male joggers were set upon between 9.25 and 9.50 p.m. David Lewis testified that he was attacked and robbed between 9.25 and 9.40. Robert Garner said he was assaulted at 9.30 p.m. David Good testified he was attacked at 9.47 p.m. And between 9.40 and 9.50, John Laughlin was knocked to the ground, kicked, punched, beaten with a pipe and stick. He sustained significant but not left threatening injuries. At the pretrial hearing in October 1989, a police officer testified that when Laughlin was found, he was bleeding so badly that he looked like he was dunked in a bucket of blood. So <clears throat> April 19th, a half dozen people were attacked in Central Park. Most of this happened between 9.30 and 9.50 p.m. Phone calls started coming in to police around this same time. Phone calls from concerned citizens about 20 to 30 black and Latino boys being seen running around in packs assaulting people in Central Park. That's what first alerted the police and sparked an investigation and sparked police to go down there. People were calling in about a pack of 20 to 30 black and Latino boys running around Central Park attacking people. Patricia Miley, who the case was most of the attention went to, her body wasn't discovered until 1.30 a.m. that night. So basically early, early, early the next morning, April 20th at 1.30 a.m., police discover this woman who I've already described to you, raped, brutally attacked. All the doctors eventually say, look like, man, it looked like there was more than one person that did this. And so 20 to 30 people are being accused of running around Central Park and brutalizing people. And so this story spills out <clears throat> in the media and the, within so police hear about it. The attacks happen, I believe, on April 19th, around 9, 10 p.m. They discover Patricia Miley, 1.30 a.m. the next day. 
New York media at that time, newspapers, you know, there's all kinds of media outlets at that time are reporting about like, wow, it was crazy last night and really violent last night in Central Park. By April 21st, with their parents sitting at their side, the four or five guys tape confessions and talk about their roles in all of this mayhem that went on in Central Park. So you're the average guy living in New York or whatever city you're in, and you hear about, oh wow, there were vicious attacks in Central Park. Some woman uh, was beaten within an inch of her life and raped and left in a coma. Four or five guys, one of them, uh, looked like he had been dropped in a bucket of blood. What's your emotions? What do you think? And, and then you hear in the media's reporting, like, man, there was 20 or 30 uh, kids running around, nearly killing people in Central Park. You live in a major city. What would your emotions, what would you want to happen to those people? Kids running around, joggers, people out exercising, doing nothing. Exercise, minding their own business, being attacked. What would your emotions be? So Donald Trump, <clears throat> not being in the greatest control of his emotions in 1989 or even since, he took out an ad in four newspapers, and I want to read you, and it because now everybody just likes to talk about the headlines, and everybody just likes to pretend like. Uh, you know, Donald Trump put out this very irresponsible advertisement, and he's the reason why these guys were convicted. They confessed in front of their parents, and there was plenty of physical evidence to back up their confessions. They said things and told the police things that only people involved in the events could know. But we'll get into that later. I want to go to Donald Trump's advertisement so we hear it in full and in context. And we don't have to spec because people leave out all of what he said for the most part and just try to <laughs> if it wasn't for Donald Trump, these guys would have walked. They would have been exonerated a long time ago. Tell me if you believe that. So here's and, and Donald Trump's advertisement took out a lot of words. Bear with me. Uh, here's what Donald Trump said in four newspapers. What has happened to our city over the past 10 years? What has happened to law and order, to the neighborhood cop we all trusted to safeguard our homes and families, the cop who had the power under the law to help us in times of danger, keep us safe from, from those who would prey on innocent lives to fulfill some dis, distorted inner need? What has happened to the respect for authority, the fear of retribution by the courts, society, and the police for those who break the law, who wantonly trespass on the rights of others. What has happened is the complete breakdown of life as we knew it. Many New York families, white, black, Hispanic, and Asian, have had to give up the pleasure of a leisurely stroll in the park at dusk, the Saturday visit to the playground with their families, the bike ride at dawn are just sitting on their stoops, 
giving them up as hostages to a world ruled by the law of the streets as roving bands of wild criminals roam our neighborhoods, dispensing their own vicious brand of twisted hatred on whomever they encounter. At what point did we cross the line from the fine and noble pursuit of genuine civil liberties to the reckless and dangerously permissive atmosphere which allows criminals of every age to beat and rape a helpless woman and then laugh at her family's anguish. And why do they laugh? They laugh because they know that soon, very soon, they will be returned to the streets to rape and maim and kill once again and yet face no great personal risk to themselves. Mayor Koch, Ed Koch was the mayor at the time, has stated that hate and rancor should be removed from our hearts. I do not think so. I want, to, I want to hate these muggers and murderers. They should be forced to suffer, and when they kill, they should be executed for their crimes. They must serve as examples so that others will think long and hard before committing a crime or an act of violence. Yes, Mayor Koch, I want to hate these murderers, and I always will. I'm not looking to psychoanalyze or understand them. I'm looking to punish them. If the punishment is strong, the attacks on innocent people will stop. I recently watched a newscast trying to explain the anger in these young men. And that's in quotes. I recently watched a newscast trying to explain, quote, the anger in these young men. I no longer want to understand their anger. I want them to understand our anger. I want them to be afraid. How can our great society tolerate the continued brutalization of its citizens by crazed misfits? Criminals must be told that their civil liberties end when an attack on our safety begins. When I was young, I sat in a diner with my father and witnessed two young bullies cursing and threatening a very frightened waitress. Two cops rushed in lifted up the thugs and threw them out the door, warning them never to cause trouble again. I miss the feeling of security New York's finest once gave to the citizens of this city. Let our politicians give back our police department's power to keep us safe, unshackle them from the constant chant of police brutality, which every petty criminal hurls immediately at an officer who has just risked his or her life to save another's. We must cease our continuous pandering to the criminal population of this city. Give New York back to the citizens who have earned the right to be New Yorkers. Send a message loud and clear to those who would murder our citizens and terrorize New York. Bring back the death penalty and bring back our police, Donald Dre Trump. So that's what he wrote in his advertisement. I want to give you a little further context about why he wrote that. And I'll go to the New York Times, a March 31st, 1990 story in the New York Times. What was New York like in 1989? Title of this story is, Killings in 89 Set a Record in New York. Here's how the story begins. More people were slain in New York City last year than ever before, and the killings in 1990 will eclipse that record if the trend set in the first two months continues, Police Commissioner Lee Brown said yesterday. In all, 1,000, 
905 people were slain in 1989, up a half percentage point from 1988. Also a record-breaking year, when 1,896 people died. Commissioner Brown said killings for the first two months of this year are up 20% from the same period last year. Mr. Brown said, not counting the 87 people killed in an arson fire at a Bronx social club on Sunday. The, the statistics also show that violent crimes against people rose while burglary and thefts fell. My point, <laughs> my, my point, all of it. Do you understand what an astronomical number 1,900 people being murdered in New York is? That's an astronomical number. I checked, I believe in 2022, I believe like 400, 500 people were murdered in New York City in 2022. 1,900 people. And in 1990, they were on pace to eclipse that and go to 2,000. There was a crime wave, a violence from 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. People, they were dropping bodies all over New York City. This is an astronomical number of murders. And so Donald Trump and everybody in New York is sitting there like, wow. Murder is just out of hand in Gotham. And it's so out of hand that I'm reading in the New York newspapers in late April that 20 or 30 kids decided, hey, man, we're going to go run around Central Park in packs and rob and brutalize people for fun. What would your reaction be if your city, if you read about some woman getting beaten to a pulp and left in a coma for 12 days and four or five men, and, and again, the, one, the, the Wikipedia story doesn't include, there was a homeless man that they nearly killed that night as well. But if you're reading that and reading that kids are running around for fun, and, and you can go watch the confessions yourself and what they cop to, what they cop to doing, what they cop to organizing. And it will take your breath away. And so there's this whole myth that the Central Park Five, oh my God, the Central Park Five, they were exonerated, they were innocent, they were just young boys out having a good time. And you can go watch Ava DuVarnay's a uh, propaganda bogus documentary when they see us or whatever it was about the Central Park Five. You can go watch Ken Burns lies about the Central Park Five. It's all lies. Virtually everything you see popularized in corporate media. It's a lie. Virtually everything. I, I want to start with, and, and these lies have been unpacked in 
much greater detail than what I'll be able to go into today. But I want to give you some resource information so you can do your own investigation in, in, into the Central Park Five and the lie. And, and just when, when you go back to Ava DuVarney's documentary that came out three or four years ago, I watched it at the time. It's just anti-Trump propaganda. That's all it is. If there was a real crime committed by the police, by the prosecution, by the jury that convicted them, these documentaries wouldn't focus on Donald Trump and an advertisement he took out in New York newspapers. They would focus on the police if the police were doing wrongdoing. They'd focus on the prosecution if they were doing wrongdoing. They would focus on the jury for buying this. But instead, they focus on Donald Trump for taking out an advertisement. His advertisement didn't lead to their arrest, didn't lead to their uh, prosecution, didn't lead to their confessions, didn't produce any of the physical evidence. His advertisement had no impact on the case at all. It wasn't an all-white jury. It was a very mixed-race jury that convicted these guys. And here's the truth about all of it. These young men that allegedly have been exonerated, and they weren't exonerated, their, their convictions were vacated. When you get exonerated, they're saying you're innocent. Their convictions were vacated. Bill de Blasio and, and a bunch of clowns uh, got all involved and fell for the propaganda and paid these guys $40 million. The only thing that's factually true about this case is that these five guys didn't leave their semen on this woman. Were they involved in some way with what happened to her and what happened to the five or six other people that were uh, harmed in Central Park that night? Yes, I believe so. That is my opinion. Everything you're hearing is a lot. Oh, they're exonerated. And Donald Trump's the worst in the world. I'm going to give you some resource material there. And, and at the bottom of this YouTube uh, page or in the description, we'll list uh, the, the, the documentary or the, the YouTube. A guy put together a 90 minute rebuttal to Ava DuVarney's uh, documentary and to a whole rebuttal of of everything, all the lies that have been told about the Central Park Five. I think his name is Chi Brown. Uh, he has a uh, YouTube page called Consider the Culture. He did an amazing breakdown of the Central Park Five case. He's a black dude. Then some white supremacist, or maybe he's doing the bidding of white supremacists. All I can see is he's doing is he's telling facts. I want to start with the Shorter clip. There's a longer clip I'm going to play, and I, I hate to play a clip that's eight minutes, but I'm going to because I, I can't do justice to everything that he unpacked. But I, I want to start with the shorter clip 
of, of, of I, I think this is him talking about, hey, the, <laughs> these guys were convicted because there was a mountain of evidence. And so l l let's play that clip first, and then I'll play the longer one where it shows some of the confessions and what these guys were, were saying, let you judge for yourself, but you should go watch the whole 90 minutes. These guys aren't innocent, not remotely. The fact that New York paid them $40 million is a joke, and it, spe it speaks to how broken journalism is, our society is, the criminal justice system is. Let's play the first shorter clip. There wasn't coercion. What there was, was a whole lot of damn evidence. And it's unfortunate that, you know, these movies, documentaries and Netflix series do not show the evidence. So let's go over the evidence. When those kids came out of the park, they were confronted by Officer Reynolds and his partner and um, the other female officer who was on the scooter. Um, they were able to catch five of them. Michael Briscoe, Kevin Richardson, Santana, Lopez, and Clarence Thomas. Out of those young men, Clarence Thomas gets put in the back seat of the car and starts crying. Two of the kids were crying that, and saying, I didn't do the murder, but I know who it was. It was Antron McCray, and I'll tell you where he lives. Did you start to cry in the police car? Yes. And did you start to say something to the police? That's what I'm going to ask, yes. Did you say that you knew who the murderer was? After they had said that the person was essentially dead, that's when I, then I said that. What did you say to him? I said that I know the person who killed him. You know, I was crying and stuff. Because I remember as they came back, I seen Anton with the pipe, and they were saying that he was beaten over the head. And that's and I figured it was Antron since he came back with the pipe. Did you tell the police it was Antron? Yes. Now, when they said they didn't do the murder, my assumption, we all assumed, that they were talking about the gentleman, and this guy was a teacher, his name was John Lachlan. We thought they were talking about him because he was beaten so badly, we assumed that they thought they killed him. So this is the beginning of these kids beginning to incriminate themselves. And a lot of people think that the police coerced these kids into talking about this stuff and they did not they offered up this information voluntarily as you just saw with Clarence Thomas he admitted to beginning to cry in the police car and automatically he goes into telling on himself telling on everybody else that's there guys I'm telling you go watch this full 90 minutes. It's filled with just factual information, what these guys actually did and said with their parents sitting right by their side. There's this whole, oh, the police coerced them. It's a bad, there, there's a bunch of bad confessions and they were denied their rights. That, that's not what happened. 
there's slick lawyering going on. And eventually, again, here's how they allegedly got exonerated, but got their basically their convictions vacated after they spent between 13 and I can't remember how many years the, the shortest one was, but uh, in 2001 or 2002, a guy named Matthias Reyes confessed to raping Patricia Miley. He conf and he's a serial rapist, Puerto Rican guy, serial rapist. He confesses the DNA matches. There's no, no question about it. The DNA matches. He was involved. He says he did it all himself. And that's all the justification they needed to, hey, we got to vacate these convictions and we got to let these guys out of jail and blah, blah, blah. But the facts of the case don't back that up. It does back up that Matthias Reyes was there and sexually assaulted the woman. He's a serial rapist. But the way that Matthias unpacked the story makes zero sense. There had, there had to be accomplices. All the evidence showed that there was more than one attacker. He was the only one to leave semen. But in term, there was blood on several of these guys, on their shoes, on their clothing. They were involved. And then they also admitted being involved with other assaults that went on that night. They weren't there just for a good time. They were there for wilding and they said it on tape. And so that's why Al Sharpton is being very slick with his words. When, when he says uh, they were exonerated of rape because that's all they were, to, without the semen evidence, and with Matthias Reyes, basically, hey, the semen you did find, and, and that is mine, and it checked out it was his, but in terms of people that held her down, who beat her while he raped her, and while others simulated sex without penetrating her, this is their own, this is out of their own confessions. A couple of these guys acknowledge getting on top of her, not penetrating her, so there is no semen. But in terms of the attack, the beating her up, the beating up of the other guy, the reason why Clarence, again, the Clarence Thomas guy thinks they murdered someone else. The John Lachlan guy that I told you about that looked like he had been dropped in a bucket of blood. When he says, oh, I, yeah, he's crying and, uh, you know, I'll tell you who murdered him. He's thinking of John Lachlan. He doesn't know. That <laughs> he doesn't know or think that they're talking about the jogger. The woman. I'm going to play uh, this longer clip. It, 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 it's eight minutes. Some degree, I apologize, but I just, for those of you that are going to be lazy and don't want to go watch the full 90 minutes, I just want to give you a taste of what Chi Brown and Consider the Culture, what they put together. I, I think it will help you understand just how massive this lie is 
that's being told about the Central Park Five and how the lie is being promoted and used here in the last six, seven years, it's being promoted and used as a tool to attack Donald Trump. And this, it speaks to the depth of the attack of Donald Trump. It speaks to how dangerous, clearly, whatever Donald Trump represents to the establishment, to the people in power, it speaks to the lengths they will go to to try to destroy this man. The lies that they will tell to try to destroy this man. They will step over a woman who was nearly killed, four or five other guys that were nearly killed, doesn't matter, oh, to, and, and exonerate or, or vacate convictions of young men who did something horrible on April 19th, 1989. Horrible. They may not have penetrated this woman, but they assisted in her rape and the assault on her. It's as clear as day. Let's kick back, watch these eight, watch these eight minutes. And now we need to go into the uh, event that everyone knows the Central Park Five for, and that is the rape of Patricia Miley. This is difficult. She was hurt pretty badly. But things that you should pay attention to is the fact that their stories are pretty consistent with how they've told stories about these other joggers. These things did happen. These boys did describe these events like they appear to have happened, the same way that the joggers described them. The only person that couldn't describe what happened was the rape victim. And we fill in those gaps with what these boys say until you hear testimony from Mateus Reyes, which we will talk about later and why that's important or not important or how they all fit together, which is very interesting and completely worthwhile for you to stick around. So bear with me. We're going to go through Patricia Miley. Then we're going to go through some of the uh, incredible stories that are now seen as the truth. But have some questions that have never been answered nor asked. You see these kids on TV and nobody asks the hard questions for some reason. But there are some hard questions and we'll get into those as well. So let's go. Did anybody say anything about looking for a woman jogger? Stephen, earlier, but that was early. What did he say? He said something like, he, let's go get a woman jogger. I remember that. How long? Well. Remember earlier when I said that as we climbed up the rocks, some left, made like they were leaving, some left. Stephen was one of them. A lady, a lady jogger. Was she running on the road or was she running on the same path? That man jogger had been running on. She on the road. Okay. Um, didn't, um, look at, what did the lady jogger look like? She was short. She had short hair. She um, gray shorts. We um, black um, biking, biking pants. Raven ran back of her, and she looked back at Raven, and she started running a little fast. Steve came out towards the front and grabbed it from the front. They caught her and like, like pulled her shirt off. And okay. like Who caught her first? Antron. And? Steve and Raymond's on, like, beside them. When they caught her, did they? what did they do to her? Did they grab her? What did they do? He pushed her, but he still had a blast. 
Mi costa di questo plato si fa una flor. Si fa una flor. Did she fall face down or backwards? Fell like this. So that her face was down on the dirt? Yes. Yeah. She's out on the ground. Everybody start hitting that stuff. And she's on the ground. Everybody stomping and everything. So from there, they, they brought her body way down there. That's where the blood was at. How did they get her down to where you found the blood? They, they grabbed, they drove, dragged her. How did they drag her? They dragged her from her feet and dragged her down the rest. Her back was on the, her back was on the, um, the grass. They just dragged her down the rest. They dragged her down. That's when, that's when Steve stripped her clothes with the knife and everything. Lopez, Lopez is smacking the lady in the face. Was she screaming? She was just hollering like, help, help. And you said that Kevin knocked her to the ground? He tripped her? Yeah. What happened to her when she was on the ground? Uh, Lopez came and he was holding her by her arms. He pinched her arms with his knees and then he covered her mouth with his hand. And then like, she was still speaking, so he started smacking her. What did he smack her with? His hand. Where did he smack her? In the face. Was he? Where was he in, in relation to her body? She was lying on the ground. Like this. And he was behind her head. Yeah. And he was holding her hands. You said that he was kneeling on her arms. Yeah, on her arms. And what was he doing with his hands? He was covering her mouth. But every time she was tall, he was smacking. He said, "Shut up, bitch." He kept smacking. How many times did he smack her? I think twice, three times. And did she keep screaming? Mm-hmm. And he just kept smacking. Did somebody stuff something in her mouth? No. He picked up the brick and he hit her with the brick twice. Where did he hit her with the brick? Around her face, around her or somewhere up here. When they did all that, I didn't want to sit right there and look at what's going on. It's, I didn't want to look like no... When you with them, if you with them, you got some show a little effort around them too. Like that, then you got each other, like... I grabbed one arm, this other kid grabbed one arm, and he grabbed her legs and stuff. And then we like, what's the turns getting on her? Like getting on top of her. I'm sorry, you have what's to What's the turns getting on top of her? What was Kevin doing while um, Steve Lopez was holding her hands and hitting her with the brick? He was having sex with her. What did you see him doing? Was he on top of her? Mm-hmm. And Steve had a leg. Um, that's the Antoine on the top of her. When he was holding her legs, was he holding them apart? Yes, spread apart. Did she still have her shoes on? No. What did Antron do that? And you know, took her fingers off and like had sex with her. You still had her arms, and me and Kev was playing with her. What were you doing when you were playing with her? Huh? What were you doing? I was playing with. I was playing with her legs. What were you doing to her legs? Huh? I was going up and down the legs. I, I wasn't doing as much as they was doing. Steve ripped her pants with his knife. That's what made her mad. And, it's, and that's when she started scratching him. Oh, what's her name? Kevin. She was yelling pretty loud. She used to close her mouth. So he had bigger heads than us. Close her mouth. I got, I got in the way. She kind of scratched me a little bit. It wasn't a face. Let me just ask you, you saying that she scratched you and you're indicating a place on your face? Yeah, I think it's somewhere right here. It wasn't, like, it wasn't big. Is that the mark that's cool. right here on your cheek? Yes. So, she reached out, she scratched you? Yeah. 
Did anybody have a weapon? Yeah, this black pipe. Okay. Uh, you're making a sign of about yeah, how big the pipe was. What is that, a little bit less than two feet or about two feet long? Is that what you think? About two feet long. Yes, small. And what was it, a stick or a pipe? It's a pipe. Who had that pipe? At first, I don't, I, at first, I don't really know. I don't bring nobody. I don't really know, but I think the tall black kid had a pipe. But I don't really know. Kevin hit her in the face with the rock. That's what knocked her out. Definitely knocked her out. She thought it was a punch, but it was a rock that hit her. Um, Steve was using the knife to cut her, cut her legs. I don't know how he was doing. He was using to cut, cut her legs. Half of them was using their nails to cut her legs. And me and Yusuf, they were kept since Kev and Steve and Raymond acting well. Me and Yusuf stayed to the side, even though we were, even though we were playing with her. We stayed to the side. They were acting too well. They were, they were swinging on her and everything. Now that's a lot to deal with and, and, and listen to. Some of the stories vary slightly um, and some names were not often mentioned. Yusuf Salam's name was not often mentioned. It seemed like he was not into the situation, though he was there and he did take part. Um, but Corey's story, while everyone seems to have a bit of a problem with his uh, testimony, it seems to ring the most true. And, and he gives the most detailed um, version of the story. And uh, rather than planning more, it's, 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 a, it's a lot for me to deal with. Um, I'm going to move on to some of the issues that you should be paying attention to here. Virtually every true crime documentary that you've ever seen that, that says, oh, these guys were wrongfully convicted, they're lies. Remember a few months ago when I had on uh, the guy that did the incredible breakdown of the serial case, Adnan Saeed and Haley, the, the, you know, out in Baltimore, walked you through that lie. He did. Uh, I told you guys about uh, the documentary out of Chicago, A Murder in the Park, where the Murder in the Park is one of the most incredible ones I've ever seen. This Central Park Five deal may rival it, but I, it'll be very tough because that Murder in the Park, when shows you that Northwestern, a Northwestern University professor and his students participated in the framing of a retarded man for a murder that a Chicago gangbanger had done. And they got this man out of a life sentence, maybe even off death row, I can't remember by framing a retarded man for the murder. And they did it so that they could overthrow the death penalty in the state of Illinois. And they provoked the governor of Illinois 
to do that. I tell you that to explain to you the lengths they will go to to accomplish their political goals. Hey, we want to overturn the death penalty. Well, we'll use this Chicago gangbanger who murdered two people, I believe, in the park in Chicago, and we'll use this retarded man, we'll frame him for this murder so that we can get this man out of prison and then use this case to pressure the governor, the governor to end the death penalty. And so if you think in order to, that they won't, in order to stop Donald Trump from getting a second term as president, to, to, to stop black people from supporting Republicans, if you think they won't take this Central Park Five case, particularly, this is easy for, this is light work, because these guys, have already served a substantial amount of time and to some degree, and, and, and Chi Brown in his documentary makes the argument like, justice has been done here. These guys don't need to go back to prison. They served enough time, they were punished for their role and what they could be convicted of at that time. Justice for the most part has been done, they've been punished. But, but the $40 million they've been given and run around as heroes and now being used as tools. I've seen pictures of these guys out giving speeches and they're holding up frame deals of Donald Trump's advertisement. They've made this whole Central Park thing about Donald Trump. I mean, could you, these are people that allegedly, all they care about are victims. Patricia Miley, they don't care about. The Lachlan guy that nearly got killed, the other victims that were beaten and brutalized, they don't care about any of them. Won't hear their names. You won't see any hashtags. Say their name. Say Patricia Miley's name. You won't hear any of that. What you'll hear is Donald Trump's name and how he's responsible. And I'm telling I can't do it justice on this podcast, you need to go watch the full 90 minutes. This Chief Brown puts it together perfectly, beautifully, walks you through. This is all a lie and a scam. These guys were involved in a night of utter brutality and chaos in Central Park in 1989, needed to be punished. We don't need to be running around making movies and documentaries and pretend like these guys are victims and heroes. We certainly didn't need to be funneling them $40 million. What Chi Brown does not say, he, he, he alludes to, but doesn't really say, because, well, hold on, why would the Matthias Reyes, why would he cop to this? Why would he say he did this alone? He's serial rapist. He's doing the time regardless. His DNA's there. But he's trapped in the prison system. And he needs to survive in the prison system. And if, if you have to be really street to understand how corrupt and how much influence 
there actually is inside of a prison and, and the kind of scams and what they can be in on. And so in my, this is speculation on my part. I think someone in a prison gang helped Matthias Reyes realize like, hey man, there's something in it for you if you swallow all of this. And if we can get these guys under some kind of fake exoneration or have their case vacated, there's gonna be a big payday down the road for this. We're gonna get Bill de Blasio or some politician, some left-wing politician who run around with a guilty conscience and wants, wants to be seen as a social justice warrior, wants to be seen as a criminal justice reformer, he's gonna talk the city into cutting a big check to these guys. And there's a piece of this check in it for you. And, and again, he's not leaving prison, he's a serial rapist. But we can make life easier for you here in prison, plenty of money on your books, your commissary, nice little, we'll, we'll transfer you, give you some kind of job within the prison system. We just need you to swallow these charges. You're gonna be here anyway, swallow the rest of these charges. Your life inside prison will be as comfortable as we can make it inside of a prison, and we can all participate in a payday that's coming. That's how things like this happen in reality. And again, when you spend as much time, these little innocent young boys and, oh, they were just, they were gonna be doctors and lawyers. Nah, that ain't who they were. And that's not who their friends were. And that certainly wasn't who they were in order to survive inside of prison for all those years. Slick enough to pull off what they have pulled off and slick enough to be used as a tool over these last seven years to attack Donald Trump. And so here the Democrat Party is right now, faced with a crisis as it relates to the black vote, as it relates to black men. Hey, we got our puppet, Al Sharpton. We got our Central Park Five puppets. Let's go out and tell everybody, Donald Trump's racist. Remember the Central Park Five? No. You, you tell me you're a man in a city that's had 1,900 murders in back-to-back -back years. You don't feel safe. You hear a story about, and this is a, watch the Consider the Culture. Go watch all of their confessions. They're all still available online. And, and judge for yourself if these were coerced. The parents were sitting there. That video we showed you, that eight minute clips of these guys talk, their parents are sitting in the room, not far within a couple of feet of these kids, listening to this. Their parents, this alleged coerced confessions, parents were sitting right there as their kids told what happened. This is a scam and a gimmick to try to bail out a Democrat party that is desperate, knows 
that they got away with murder in 2020 knows that that election was not on the up and up, knows it's going to be very difficult to pull off what they did in 2020 in 2024. They are desperate to hold on to the black vote. And as I've said earlier this week, they're desperate to hold on to the perception pulling a lever for Republicans is pulling a lever for the KKK. They need that perception out there. And so part of this messaging from Al Sharpton around the Central Park Five, <laughs> Trump's racist, Republicans are racist. The Central Park Five, Donald Trump did X, Y, and Z to them. Voting for Trump is a vote for the KKK. Look, I, I, I'm, I've told y'all repeatedly, it's just fact, I've never voted. I'm on, I'm on the record. I am MAGA. They forced me there. I have no choice but to be MAGA. I don't see another option. Again, I like RFK. The guy's pro-abortion. Can't do it. I, I, just, I just can't do it. I, I, I'm, I have no other options but to be MAGA. I'm planning to vote in 2024. There's other people, when you look at what's going on with our kids and drag queens and, and the sexualizing, the grooming of kids, other people are snapping out of this trance, this satanic trance that the left has had us in. And they're concerned. And so telling this lie about the Central Park Five, knowing like, ain't nobody gonna go do the homework on this. They're gonna accept our word for, hey, their convictions were exonerated. You're not even gonna check out that lie. No, they were vacated and there's a difference. Oh, well they got $40 million. What city would give these guys $40 million if they weren't innocent? A city run by Bill de Blasio. A city run by a drug using mayor uh, who he and his wife are into all kinds of, uh, I gotta be careful, but just alternative sexual BS. White guy married to a black woman trying to live out his uh, racial fantasies and trying to uh, build up some legacy of he's the most virtuous race blind person on the planet. Taking taxpayer money and giving it to five criminals to burnish his own legacy, that's light work for Bill de Blasio. That's light work for any politician. That's nothing. I'd I, I love to make the point, and I, I've done it before, and you know, some of you may, yeah, I'm tired of you making that point. Well, maybe new listeners out here, but, but it, one of my favorite TV shows for the first four or five seasons was Game of Thrones. And, 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 and what I loved about it, it was just making the point of the lengths human beings will go to to retain power. And there's nothing we're incapable of doing to retain power. One of, I'm t one of the best scenes no one talks about, one of the most profound scenes, when Stannis Baratheon, trying to get the throne, 
burned his daughter at the stake. The whole message behind that was like, human beings without God, we are vile, sick, depraved individuals. Nothing we won't do to maintain power. Drink baby blood, that's light work. Get five clowns, criminal clowns out of prison and, and toss them 40 million. Real light work. Uh, so I'm going to let you uh, get into your weekend. I do, I do want to remind you all next week, uh, we're having the Fearless Football Cookout, the Fun Slinger Edition. Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Seth Joyner, Sage Steele, all here in Nashville with us. Uh, Steve Kim will be here, TJ Moe. That'll be live Thursday, September 7th, first day of the NFL season. You can watch it on uh, YouTube and Blaze TV. You can also attend the event. Uh, I think it's Fearless Army, uh, roll fearlessarmytickets.com. Yeah, fearlessarmytickets.com. You can come hang out with us on the first night of the NFL season. Eat some barbecue, have some beverages, talk football with Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Seth Joyner, Sage Steele, and myself. Uh, would love to have you here. Uh, that's our show uh, for today. Uh, we'll play some tomorrow. I think we'll see you on Tuesday. You guys have a great Labor Day on Monday, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just wanna be, I just